Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, a financial transformation and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like financial close transformation, COSO, ERM, SOX 404, and auditing related matters. My guest today is Alan Phillips. Alan is the Vice President of Internal Audit at a very famous uh, restaurant chain called the Cheesecake Factory. We'll be discussing some of the changes in the internal audit field and best practices for structuring this important department. Prior to joining the Cheesecake Factory, Alan served as a very senior partner at ENY, my old stomping ground. At Ernst & Young, he was there for 10 years where he started the firm's internal audit outsourcing and co-sourcing practice in the Southwest. There, he had the pleasure of serving numerous global 1,000 companies. Alan has worked in the internal audit field for over 30 years. Alan holds a Bachelor's of Science in Accounting from San Diego State and is a CPA and a Certified Fraud Examiner and is a speaker for the IIA on risk management and SOX. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Sonia. It's great to talk to you again. Excellent. I'm really excited about this interview because I know our listeners are going to learn a lot from your experience, your depth, your breadth of experience in financial services as well as hospitality and how you've transformed internal audit departments. And since you've had a significant executive presence in both the financial services and hospitality industries. Can you share with our audience some of the key strengths and challenges internal audit departments face day in and day out? Sure. I, I think the three of the biggest challenges facing audit departments are finding the right people, achieving acceptance and stature within their company and, and executing and delivering value while living within what's often a very, very tight budget. And you mentioned industry earlier, and even though I spent a lot of time in financial services and hospitality, I've done a lot of work in probably half a dozen more industries. And it's funny, but very often when we go out recruiting auditors, industry backgrounds considered to be really important. When I was in banking decades ago, I couldn't even get an interview with companies in other industries because all I had was a banking experience. But I personally don't think that industry knowledge is really, is really that key in understanding the risks facing companies. For the most part, when you think about it, about 75% of the challenges we have to deal with are not industry-specific. And it's really a huge challenge to find people with in industry skills and the specific technical skills with, that we need. When you drill down into the companies, they all have accounting departments, purchasing, IT, finance, HR, legal, and so on. And those are all really generic. You don't need industry skills to, to audit those. Operations may be very specific to an industry, to a company, but because they're so core, they're often really well documented and can be learned or taught. So I think the bigger challenge in audit is understanding the culture of a company. 
Most companies are mm-hmm. looking for internal audit to go the extra mile and add value, but there really doesn't seem to be a consensus on what value actually is. So I believe it's very tied into the culture of the company. If you can understand and really navigate within the culture of the company, and that includes positioning yourself appropriately in the stature of internal audit the way it should be and your title the way it should be, and developing relationships and credibility, you get access to emerging issues. You have a seat at the table, and your success in dealing with those issues and hopefully the value others expect from internal audit will be forthcoming, and it might even get you a budget increase that you need. Right, it's kind of using some some very good uh, sales tactics, uh, dare I use the word sales, but uh, those three that you mentioned, you know, finding the right people or talent um, and then gaining acceptance for the skill sets that you're offering to the organization and then delivering that value, uh, especially given everybody's got budgets for the internal audit group and some, some tighter than others. And I think that the key point that I'm taking away myself here is the industry-specific knowledge, yes, that, that could be kind of the, the plus, and then there are certain folks that make a hiring decision that put that as a must on the resume, must have that industry knowledge. It's been my professional experience that those that have the right attitude of learning and are good problem solvers, uh, which are very basic interview behavioral questions, um, have found proven to be positive solutions for even our firm in hiring the right staff uh, because if they've got the right attitude and they've got the right problem-solving skills, meaning that they're willing to do their own research or at least try to find the right solutions before they ask a question, um, that has been probably some of the best hires rather than industry-specific knowledge. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, um, when I'm hiring, I'm, I'm actually looking for agile thinkers. You know, when people, after I've gone through interviews, I've been told that I'm a very unusual interviewer. My questions seem somewhat disjointed or out of context. And especially when I'm looking for experienced people, I spend very little time discussing their audit skills, their technical background. I, I let other interviewers drill down those areas. And if they have a successful story on their resume, those skills should be there or they can be taught pretty easily. I spend most of my time trying to understand how they think, whether they're quick in their feet, whether they can adjust and adapt to changing situations, whether they're agile. I'm always looking for people that are smarter than I am, and it seems the older I get, the smarter other people get. And I'm looking for people that have great verbal communication skills and good presence, and they have the ability and the desire to want to become future leaders of the company, and they know how to develop relationships have good integrity and their personality and their values work within the culture of the company and within the department. And, and really, we have a small department here. And the smaller you're out of department, the more important this approach is because you can't afford to make a mistake in hiring. We have four people. If one of them is not able to carry the load, it really is a lot harder than the others. So I try to get an initial understanding of what motivates them also in order to see if I can, I can even do that. Sometimes... You get someone who's really keen on getting a certain title within a certain time frame, and that's not really achievable because of the structure of the department. So I need to know that at the onset, uh, I have to be able to manage those expectations as well as possible. But you're right about the mindset. It's it's the agility, the quickness of the mind, the ability to think out of the box, and, and really to be flexible in their approach is kind of key in my hiring decisions. 
Yeah, that flexibility and, and wanting to um, conduct their own independent research, but then share that knowledge with the rest of the group, or at least ask for more guidance or advice. Um, I, I think that has been very critical in some of our key successes with our own clients. But I wanted to switch gears on, you know, just your career. You've, you've started and overhauled broken internal audit departments at several companies. What are some of the principles, you know, talking, <laughs> talking about like the COSO type principles, but more in the context of transformation of internal audit departments, what are some principles that you follow to start that transformation on the right foot? Sure, and, and really when you start an internal audit department of any kind or take over a broken one, it, it's lots of meetings, 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 meetings. You spend time with the executive team to understand what they expect from internal audit and maybe what they weren't getting before, and sometimes doing some level setting in the event their expectations are not reasonable. You need to develop relationships with senior management throughout the company and network regularly. Understand how the audit committee fits into the picture and what their hot buttons are. Um, trying to get a feel for the culture and tone at the top is, is really critical. So understand how you can work within the company, whether it's bureaucratic or it's you know, entrepreneurial or it's father-driven. I mean, we have a little bit of all that here. And sitting down with the audit staff to understand what's worked well and what hasn't and understanding their strengths and weaknesses and their motivations and their goals. And really, I find that what's worked best for me is I'm a very informal person. I actually saw this term somewhere, but I manage by walking around. I don't stay in my office very much. I really walk around and talk to people and try to get a feel for what's going on in the company and in the department. I'll just pop into someone's office for a quick hello or, or a two-minute conversation, asking them for help or advice on a topic, anything to try and, and build a relationship in an environment of trust. I'm always very candid in my conversations, and, and I always emphasize the goal of audit is to partner with a management team to build a better process or a better team or solve a problem. Uh, sometimes I may strain what's uh, generally accepted as being independent. Uh, I kind of hate that word, but I try to do the right things and fix problems. I mean, for example, at Cheesecake, when I started the internal audit department here, one of the first things we did was uh, build a business continuity plan. It was, a, it was an enterprise risk. They didn't have one. I had the right skill set to build the plan. So we spent several months going through every department and building a business continuity plan. That's not typically what an internal audit function would do, but once it was built, I turned it over to risk management to run. And the same thing with ERM. There was a, there was a real need for an ERM function here. And again, I had the skill set to do that, so we built the ERM process and did an, e an enterprise risk assessment and, and built the entire strategy and, and uh, structure for it. And once it was built, turned it over to legal to run. And the other thing, it's real important to do when you're taking over is, is over-communicate, especially in the early stages, and communicate in plain, simple English, not overly technical reports. Because many times audits are very complex, but if you can make the complex simple, you can more easily gain acceptance to what you're trying to uh, get across. And the biggest thing, a huge plus, especially here, was to try and find a big win for internal audit early on. If you can find that low-hanging fruit, and you can leverage that into something that really solves an ongoing problem or mitigates the significant risk, it's a great win for internal audit and builds your credibility. It also provides a strong platform for audit to move forward with more value-added services. 
for example, at Cheesecake, one of the very first audits we did here was a comprehensive data security, uh, security review, but we did it at kind of a base level, even to the point of looking on people's desks after hours to see if any confidential information was left out in the open. We used a co-source partner to provide us expertise and resources, and the results of the audit were outstanding. So among many things, our audit provided the basis for the development of an information security council, which is comprised of senior management throughout the company, and they come together every quarter to work on information security challenges. Um, we recommended data governance practices, and they've been put into place. We even recommended security awareness training, and we now have videos that people have to uh, watch every year, all the staff have to. All of those still are here and have continued to evolve today, seven years after the audit. And most senior management, they won't remember that our audit was the catalyst for the development of those things and, until I remind them at opportune times. But those are kind of the mm -hmm. key things that I try to do as we as build an internal audit department. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it rings true with a lot of, I think, other principles, which is going back to your earlier comment, about gaining acceptance, right? And, and acceptance, I, I kind of translate that into trust. And if you can prove an, uh, you know, you're adding value right away, like you said, low-hanging fruit, the management team realizes you're a partner with them, not so much a you know gotcha uh, department. You're actually trying to advocate on their behalf, or you're you're in you're aligning yourself with the core business objectives of the the company and trying to execute its mission statement. And um, I like the way you've, you've phrased the uh, independence piece of it because there is a gray area and, and people might forget uh, where independence is, is can be gray. And if you go through a quality assessment review in an internal audit department, one of the areas that, that is uh, noted in the assessment, there's something like over 18 tools that you're supposed to use based on the IIA guidance, but one of them is advisory services, right? So right, right. going above and beyond just operational auditing, technical auditing, <laughs> the socks. And and some people, you know, who have not gone through a QAR feel like, oh no, no, that 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 blurries the lines between independence and, and therefore they don't want to take advisory responsibilities. But it's very refreshing to hear you say that you've kind of embraced some of those uh examples such as the business continuity plan and the enterprise uh ERM framework. And yeah. I wanted to oh go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to expand on on your career because it's it's a great, wonderful career that you've had, and it's it's it has spanned over four, you know, decades. And this is kind of an age-old question. I think it's an evergreen question. Um, but I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on this. Are what are some of the ways internal audit has evolved? And where do you believe the next phase of evolution is going to take us? Boy, now you're straining my memory a little bit, trying to go back four decades. Um, when I started my career, most every audit department I know of was really compliance-based. We were there and only there to catch people doing the wrong things. You mentioned gotcha, and that's really what we did. It was really a nitpicky kind of environment, very black and white. And then we got COSO, and then financial services, Spedisha came in and changed things a little bit. The compliance focus became a bit more to focusing on controls. It was still very compliance-oriented, but a little more broad-based. 
And we started to think a little bit more about how to make processes and controls work better. Then the Enrons hit and SOX took over the internal audit world and, and forced us to really focus on processes and controls. And as we learned how to work our way through SOX and simplify it, auditors became more consultative and collaborative, trying to streamline the processes and controls, minimize time they spent on SOX, and really add a process improvement focus to their work. And then a whole host of tools became available to help us look at data and anomalies in order to identify problems earlier, and even more importantly, to get to the root cause and, and fix the problems at the source rather than just report on the results. And all those tools and the techniques to use those tools mushroomed in the mid-2000s, and they continue to drive an evolution of audit along the process improvement and consulting path. And now our best auditors are using big data and business intelligence tools to proactively identify issues before the problems can even occur. And I certainly don't see that slowing down anytime soon. And, and really, the other huge change I've seen is the globalization of nearly everything. Customers, vendors, systems, business partners, everything's global and it can be deeply affected by changes in the global environment. And it's key that auditors have the vision to understand the global impact on their daily work. And I think that any auditor who gets an opportunity to work internationally should definitely take it because it can do nothing but add to their career growth and leadership potential. Um, we have become broader thinkers, and, and audit is one of the few functions that truly understand how the many various pieces of the company work together and how that integration can be optimized both from a tactical and a strategic perspective. So when you add those two pieces to the global piece, you know, audit, audit really should have a major seat at the table. And, and with being able to use the tools that are available to us now and having that global perspective, I think auditors are key leaders in organizations going forward. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I spoke with a chief audit executive um, Recently, actually, it was probably not not too long ago, and we were having a discussion about um, career paths. And I, we were having this discussion about tools and dealing with mega data and consulting services and, and globalization. And I, I was commenting that I really think internal audit uh, departments can create really great COOs. And I think that we um, have not put a, a, a spotlight on that department, internal audit department, because we have evolved to deal with a lot of data. And then looking at that data, figuring out problems that relate to that data, what's the sense or the, the, the cause, if you will, of how that data is um, being you know, not only created, but maintained, and what are some of the outputs, et cetera. And so as I was having this dialogue with this other um, uh, executive, he kind of paused for a second because it really wasn't in his initial mindset. But as I talked through it, I said, what other department creates this type of talent with these skills that who who else would be better at this? Is it really the HR department? I don't think so. Is it sales and marketing? I mean, do they really get into the details of every? I mean, they're usually the least organized group. Yeah, you're right. And and then what's left is you know what 
uh, so if, if you think through it and the skill sets and, and the problem solving um, and, and the consulting services that they offer, it, we should be a breeding ground for COOs, uh, our departments. Um, yeah. And speaking of uh, – oh, go ahead. No, I think that I hadn't thought about the COO piece before. I've always thought auditors would be great chief administrative officers because, you know, we're orderly and organized and know how to put all the pieces together. But the operations piece is actually, it, that's actually a really good point because there is no one in the company that knows um, the details that auditors know about how everything works and how everything fits together. They all know their own pieces much better than we do. It's kind of like a, we're a mile wide and an inch deep, but we know that mile wide really, really well. Um, so I think that's actually a great idea. I'm going to push that a little bit. I'm going to steal your idea. I please steal away. I want to see more to see. <laughs> I just don't see any reason why we we can't translate that, especially now that I see uh, Richard Chambers um, advocating on this, you know, um, certification for leadership. And I keep thinking that's mm-hmm. that's great, but it's not just auditing. It's it's operational stuff. This is we we are a breeding ground for C C O O S, in my opinion. And speaking of breeding ground and and, and talent and all that good stuff, I know you have hired trained, mentored, and even retained hundreds of internal auditors over the years. Can you share with our listeners what you're looking for when you hire key personnel, but more importantly, how do you keep them motivated? Yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of key. I think I, I mentioned earlier that I'm kind of an unusual interviewer, and um, I really look for the agile, quick thinkers and people that are really smart Um and really have good presence about them and good communication skills. But once you get them, how do you keep them? Um, everybody needs to be managed individually, and they're motivated individually. It's really not one size fits all. It used to be back when I started in public. You know, everyone was a number, basically. They didn't even know our names half the time. You go here, you did that, and every piece was interchangeable. But nowadays, you know, I don't know whether it's social media or just the evolution of people, you have to really manage and motivate people individually. Some people need more structure. Others can be given general guidance, and I feel comfortable knowing they're going to go off in the right direction and come back to ask me for help when they need it. I mean, my job, as I look at it, is really to set general direction and remove roadblocks for my people. And that's how um, the audit work gets done here. Try to treat everyone fairly and give them as much challenge and opportunity as they can handle and maybe a little more, uh, a little bit more than they can handle to see them stretch. Definitely don't want them to fail, but if not stretching, they're not growing. I make sure that when I'm in meetings with senior management to give the audit staff the individual credit they deserve for a job well done. I don't need the credit. I mean, uh, these people here are the ones that are doing the work, and when something good happens, I want to make sure they're getting the credit for it and management knows about it. I also make sure to give staff uh, informal but real-time feedback I probably do need to get a little better at the positive feedback part of it, but it's it's at least something I'm aware of. But all the success in hiring and maintaining people is really based on finding those flexible and adaptable personality types who want to be successful and then give them the tools and the opportunities to be successful. I I am listening to a lot of this and and, uh, absorbing, um, you know, the individual – evaluation of what motivates people. So 
there's a generation sometimes gap. For example, there's some baby boomers, Gen X, um, yep. Gen Y, et cetera. I, I personally take that into account, um, and I also take into account, um, you know, wh where they see themselves in, in a team environment. So there are people that are very good doers, and then there's very good people that are kind of in the middle, and then they're very good. There's others that um, want to lead, and I, I, I try to um, evaluate our team anyways in, in that aspect. But on the motivation piece, um, I loved what you said is removing the roadblocks. You know, if, if they're, people genuinely want to do the right thing, they genuinely come into work wanting to perform well. And there was a book that um, I was, I had to read when we, uh, I became a first year manager at EY, it was called First Break All the Rules. Yep. And the premise of the book was, was to give you information that back in the 80s, uh, it was assumed you could, you, you could just make everybody good at everything. And the book kind of debunked that and said, no, you just got to put people in the right sweet spot. Okay, you know, not everybody's going to be a rainmaker for a CPA firm or, um, you know, a technical person. So put people in the right spot. What I'm noticing, though, in, in, in this uh, new uh, crop, if you will, of internal auditors is the social media, uh, me, 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 and instant gratification. But what I have found is in performance evaluation, if you send, send, send out a, a, a one to two, to three-year plan, they everything's up front. So if it's not right at the right fit in the beginning, they'll know, hey, well, at least, you know, before I entered into this firm or this internal audit department, I already had a roadmap. We have successfully linked social media using LinkedIn, and we have been very successful getting our folks to look very professional, look like they're a you know, big team member, you know, in our firm, we're a smaller organization. But what we've learned is getting them hooked into LinkedIn has been actually an asset to us, not a detriment, because everybody's accepted the rules of the road of that platform. So we haven't shied away from that. If anything, we tell people how to use it or we'll comment on best practices internally, because the new crop of internal auditors want that information. If I've already figured out something in social media that I could share within my internal audit team members, I have found that they welcome it. And guess what? My gen, my, my other uh, compliance uh, comrades also want to learn how to use it. So um, they may not be as active, okay, because they still want that face-to-face -face connection. But it still is a good medium uh, uh, ground, if you will, for social media is LinkedIn. I mean, do you have any thoughts about uh, social media and, and uh, how internal audit departments should or should not avoid it, et cetera? Well, an old dog like me probably doesn't use it as much as I should. I, I actually did join LinkedIn a few months ago for people uh, kind of made me do it. But uh, the young people in my department, that's all they do. I mean... They share things from company to company. They get information quickly. I mean, you can, that, to me, that's the, the biggest advantage of social media is you can get real-time information when you need it, specific to the question you're asking. You can understand what people's needs are. I mean, it's just it's amazing what they can do. And I never really understood all the, the millennial Gen X, Gen Y thing. And, and recently I was at a seminar, and 
the speaker was talking specifically about the, the generations and how to deal with them. And he gave specific examples. And, and I have kids that are both millennials and Gen Z. And he gave specific examples of what you know, motivates each group. And they were perfectly tied into my kids. So I could see in real life how you can use those uh, that understanding of the different generations to really work with your kids or your staff people to motivate them and to make them more successful. I, it was very eye-opening for me. It was. It sounded like it was something you could actually take away and not only use professionally, but even even personally, which is even better. You got like double double whammy oh, yeah. on bonus points there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, every everybody has a story, right? It's very rare I find someone, a guest, that, that has actually started their path in internal auditing. They knew exactly that they were going into it. But <laughs> look, you, you, now, you now have socially, from a social media perspective, you have evolved, right? You just joined LinkedIn a few months ago. But can you share with everybody your story of how you got into this internal audit career and, and more importantly, you know, what's, what's your motivation in, in this particular career? When I got started, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I was uh, getting out of the military and I took all these aptitude and interest tests they give you. And I was told I should either be an accountant or a lawyer. And I didn't want to go the extra time to go into law school. So I became an accountant. Um, and early on in my career, I was smart and I knew how to audit but I was definitely not that self-aware or really broad-based in understanding how companies work. Um, I was successful in my group, but in hindsight, nowhere near as, as successful as I could have been. I'll tell you the thing that really propelled my career, and, and it, honestly the most important thing I've learned in my career is the importance of selling. And I only wish that I'd learned this much, much earlier. And I, I learned it when I joined EY, and you mentioned Rainmaker earlier, but that's not what selling is. And I emphasize the skill with every auditor I work with and, and even my own kids. And, and normally their first reaction is, I don't know how to sell or I don't want to sell. And they get visions of a used car salesman, white shoes, and lots of gold chains. But selling to me is the process of sharing your ideas with others and trying to convince them to see your point of view. You sell things every day at work and at home in your business life and your personal life. Uh, you sell your credibility. You sell your audit findings. You sell your convictions. And it all begins with great listening and trying to identify the key points the other person's presenting and adapting your message to either solve the problem or put them at ease or change their perspective. And very often what you're selling can change along the way as you get more information and, and build your perspective. And it's really, really rewarding when it works and, and it can be very, very frustrating when it doesn't. And the other key thing I've learned is, and it sounds kind of trite, but it's just always to do the right thing. It may not always be safe and popular, and it may put you at odds at times with key or influential management. But if you've established the trust and the credibility and you're really adept at selling and influencing, your efforts will be appreciated in time by those who really matter. I agree. I think selling is such a key. It, it's almost like a dirty word in it. I don't sell is, anything. Well, you, you do if it's a finding and you got to get them to them, meaning the management team to buy in on the remediation plan. Is it, you know, like you said, trust, credit, um, have you had enough uh, information to, to let them see your vision of that remediation plan? And maybe there's something that you didn't see that they, they thought about. Um, Absolutely. So there is 
there is a negotiation there. There is some selling and uh, there is an emotion that goes on with that. And the people want to have that trust and they want to know that things can be accepted without a huge penalty. Um, and they, they want collaboration. At the end of the day, they want to feel like they've contributed to, to, to solving the problem, not, not just the internal audit dictating how the solution is going to be, uh, you know, fixed. Uh, it's very interesting. You had a military background and, and the aptitude test and, and so forth. I mean, w do you have any thoughts on uh, personality assessments? I mean, now that you kind of <laughs> shared your story of how you got into uh, internal auditing, but, uh, I mean, what are, what are some key um, takeaways for, for, for you having, you know, again, started and t taken over certain departments uh, when it comes to personality assessments? You know, I honestly never use one at a company. We actually use them here at Cheesecake, but when I started, they were in between tools, so I never had to take it. So I've never taken a personality test with a company. And the ones I took when I was in the service, it was so long ago, I honestly can't remember how they work. But I've seen the results of some of them that you know, we've given and, and how people respond to them. I, I'm not 100% sure that they work because some of the, you know, I've talked to people and they failed a personality or, you know, they say failed a personality test. And I thought the people were great. And I've hired them anyway, regardless of what HR said. And they've worked it out extremely well. So y your test has to be so finely tuned to what you're looking for. And if you can get it finely tuned, I think it would work well. But I think anything that's generic, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Internally, we go through a three-step process. We we actually have something that's a I call it a mini personality test, and it's less than 15 minutes because the new generation of uh, professionals will not sit through an hour and a half for the most comprehensive um, personality test. I, I think yeah, that, I mean, 15 minutes for them is, is that, that is a long, okay? <laughs> and so for us, we, we, we don't even make folks go through it until it's at the tail end of the process. So we're, if it's an experienced hire, we're looking at track record, references, et cetera. We're assuming a lot of things about technical skill sets. And then at some point we get into personality. Are they going to be a really good fit for our culture, et cetera? Um, yep. You know, how are they going to fit with our clients, right? That's another big issue. So uh, they may have great industry knowledge, but I know, we know our clients very, very well. They've, they've stuck around for such a long time. Um, are they going to work well with the folks there? Um, and so we, we've been um, – We've instituted uh, personality tests, not on a consistent basis, but just here and there just to ensure that we've – it's just another tool. How's that? It's it's not the end-all, be-all uh, when it comes to our hiring process anyway. So Yeah. I'm looking for the same things, but I guess I kind of use my experience as the personality test. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and also, you know, dare I say your kind of gut check that tells you, is this does this feel like a really good hire? Yep, well, Ellen, um, we are wrapping up this interview, and I'm really confident our listeners gained a lot of valuable insight on how your principles-based approach to transforming an internal audit department is well worth the investment and time it takes to get it done. So thank you, Alan, again, for coming on our radio show. Oh, you're very welcome, Sonia. Thanks a lot. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.